Our scripture today comes from the book of John, the first chapter, and I'm going to begin at verse 29. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, not John the author of John, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I like this story, this, this particular story. It's, it, it's interesting. It's got a part that I, I want to just clear up real quick. Um, when, when John the Baptist says, you know, I didn't know him. What, what he doesn't mean is I never met the guy. Because Jesus is his cousin right? He knows him. He knows who he is. I believe what he meant was that John the Baptist was called by God to announce the coming of one who would be the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm sure while they were growing up, he's thinking, this Jesus is a pretty special kid. But he didn't know that Jesus was the one. Until at his baptism, as John baptizes Jesus, and, and at his baptism, John witnesses this phenomenon of the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus as if like a dove. And he goes, ah, he's the one. And in this, there's this conversation with a couple of his followers, and he says, see the guy walking by? That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'm a witness to that, that he's the chosen one. And it's at that point that some of John the Baptist's followers leave him to go and follow Jesus. So is this the beginning of Jesus' ministry? It's actually, I know, theologians and Bible, biblical scholars talk about the weirdest things, like, it matters, but I guess it does matter because they talk about it, that, that when did Jesus' ministry get started? Well, how do you define get started? I mean, maybe it is at this point when John the Baptist relinquishes his supremacy, really. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. When he relinquishes, relinquishes that, and hands it over to Jesus. Is that when Jesus' ministry gets started? Or maybe we can, we can go forward when Jesus calls certain of his followers to become the leaders in that following, the apostles. Maybe that's where, where, where Jesus' ministry gets started. Could that be it? 
Or, or, or maybe just later in the next chapter where, where Jesus is at a wedding, actually the reception, and, and they've run out of wine, and, and G, Mother Mary says, Jesus, come over here. You've got to take care of a problem. And Jesus does his first miracle in the book of John. They're called signs, not miracles. Signs of who Jesus is. Maybe it is when he does his first miracle, his first sign. Is that where he gets his start? But maybe we could back up. If you were here last week, I, I, I preached on that passage of Scripture where Jesus is a 12-year-old, and he's in the temple, and he's talking with the other rabbis, the teachers, the, the people who have authority to teach, and they're amazed at what he do, says and understands. Maybe even learning from them, from Jesus, like our leaders are going to learn from the children today. Maybe, maybe that's, or, or maybe it was before that. Maybe it was, you know, it, it, let's go back to the birth, for goodness sake. You know, um, Jesus' ministry begins where before, as an infant, he's able to understand it. But it, it begins when, when, when God says to the shepherds, look, something special's happening in Bethlehem. Go there, and you'll see the Savior of the world. Maybe, or maybe, <laughs> even before that. Maybe it's at the point at which, which God sends an angel to Mary and says, you're going to conceive and have a son, and that, that child is the son of God. And then an angel shows up in, in Joseph's dream and says the same. Is that where it got started? Or we could even back up before that, Right? We can go before that time and, and, and say that, that maybe, maybe Jesus' ministry begins where the prophets, as the voice of God, the prophets in, in between five and 700 B.C. is about the time of the prophets. The prophets predict, prophesy that the Son of Man, the Son of God is coming. And maybe it starts there. Or maybe even way before that. Way before that. The book of John opens with words that sound like the book of Genesis opening. In the book of Genesis, it says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. The book of John begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word is referring to Jesus. Jesus was around at the very beginning. When God spoke and said, Let there be light, Jesus as God is there, the Word of God was with God and is God. But, but what about a, a, if we fast forward just a little bit, just a few days, right? And biblically speaking, just a, a few days to, to uh, uh, when God creates humanity. And then... Humanity creates a problem. We all know that story of the, the, the first humans, Adam and Eve, the, the first of humanity. And the first of humanity is, um, you know, God, I know you, you told us don't eat that, but it looks good. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to go my way, not your way. And it goes bad from there. When the first humans decide, not going to follow your will, God, and by the way, they become a prototype for the rest of us. 
Because each one of us in our life at some point or more than one point decide, I want to go my way, not your way, God. Thank you, I got it from here. I think that started for me about age eight. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of this. I, I, I'll go my way. And from that time of Adam and Eve, from that, from that very beginning of Adam and Eve, and, and, and they decide to sin, that's what we call it when you decide to go your way instead of God's way. That's what the word means. It, when, when you decide your own will and not God's will, when you, when you sin, at the very beginning, salvation was necessary. So when John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not that that's the first time it happened because it became necessary at Adam and Eve. And you remember the, you remember the serpent said to, to, to Adam and Eve, it said, you know, God didn't say you die. I mean, well, yeah, God did, but you won't die if you eat it. And God decides... Even though God said, you eat it, you die, God decides to save them instead for a different purpose, for a better purpose, for a greater purpose, for God's purposes. And the history, the biblical history, is the history of God saving people all the way up to the point of Jesus Christ. We call it salvation history. All the way up to the point of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest moment in salvation history, but it doesn't end there. Jesus' ministry continues on through the people who decide to follow Jesus all the way through history until the end point of history. So, where did Jesus' ministry begin? <laughs> I always think it's important when we, when we look at these, these biblical concepts to ask, what does that mean for me? And so, where does your ministry begin? At what point did it, or when will it? Where do you fit in this, this whole salvation history timeline? Where are you in the midst of that? Let me, let me share what I know about my salvation history. And, and for you, it, it may tie together because, I don't know, it may, whether you came to salvation through my ministry here over the last five years or, or, or through Michael McIntyre before me or through other pastors and, and leaders of the church before youth leaders and children's leaders or whatever, um, or at another church, you have a salvation history. And then right at the moment, we're in, intersecting on ours. In the 1800s, there was a, a German evangelist. I don't know his name, but this is a true story. A German evangelist who, um, uh, he, he was German-speaking Methodist. And he's doing uh, um, a... a, a uh, Revival in, in Ohio. There's a lot of Methodists in Ohio. I don't know if you knew that. Still are today. Lots of Methodists in Ohio. And, and it's doing a revival in Ohio. And this is the mid, mid to late 1800s. And there's, there's a man 
who comes with a group of others. They're young men, and they are um, German-Jewish immigrants who decided to go to the revival to sit on the front row and heckle the preacher. I'm so thankful heckling only happens through email now. (laughs) Sits on the front row to heckle. And, And the preacher writes in his diary that night, true story, writes in his diary that night, there was a young man on the front row, one day he will preach. One of those preachers, one of those young men, was a man by the name of Ludwig Jacobi. Ludwig Jacobi, a German-Jewish immigrant whose, whose life is transformed through this particular pastor, but also others. And he becomes a pastor, a German-speaking Methodist preacher. Back then, there was a lot of separate German Methodist churches because Methodism spread from England to Germany before those Germans came to the New World, eventually the U.S., and, and so a lot of German-speaking Methodists. And, and, and so he, he becomes a pastor, and he asks his bishop to send him to that, that newly growing Western land, St. Louis. <laughs> And he comes to St. Louis and starts a church. And the first church he starts would have been somewhere right, the intersection would have been right about center field of the football stadium downtown. That's the first one. Over the the rest of his life as a pastor, he travels up and down from St. Louis north, the Mississippi River, starting Methodist churches, maybe a couple of hundred along the way. The church right at the stadium was called Salem. And Salem moved several times in their history, but their current location right now is at the corner of Lindbergh and 64, the northeast corner, big, beautiful church there, colonial church there called Salem. Now, fast forward quite a few years, 1960s, and there's a new housing development going up in Chesterfield, huge housing development called Green Trails. Anybody know where Green Trails is in Chesterfield? Um, And so, this huge housing development, they decide they need a Methodist church in the middle of the development. So, the Methodist church buys property, and they start looking for people to, to become that church. A guy by the name of uh, Dr. Greg Poole, Reverend Dr. Greg Poole, is a part of forming that. And um, uh, Greg, uh, Dr. Poole, um, who I later met, uh, Dr. Poole grabs some people from Salem Church and asks them if they'll be part of the formation of this new church called Green Trails United Methodist Church. In 1970, my family moved from Creve Coeur to Green Trails, and that church was on our way out of the neighborhood, and mom thought, why would I drive all the way over to the church we went to in Creve Coeur when I can stop right here? I'm a Methodist by geography. And I started attending there. We started attending there. Oftentimes, mom would just kind of kick us out of the house on Sunday morning and go say, go to church, and we'd walk to church. 
And I came to faith in great part because of the ministry of Green Trails Church. Now, while I was in, in, in high school and college, I didn't know this was happening, but I, I found out later, but while I was in high school and college, there was a housing boom going on in what they called the Golden Triangle. In St. Charles County, the Golden Triangle was bordered by Highway 94, Highway 70, and Highway 4064, whatever it's called. That triangle shape was called the Golden Triangle because the land was worth gold as they were selling it for housing developments. And, and somebody had the bright idea, we ought to put a Methodist church there in the middle of that. And so some people got together, and they started United Methodist Church of the Shepherd. And um, some people from Green Trails, this is the way we used to do new church starts. We used to get out a phone book and start calling through everybody in that zip code. And some people from Green Trails did that. When I started a new church, we made 12,000 of those phone calls. That's the way we used to do it. And some people from Green Trails helped start United Methodist Church of the Shepherd. We'll fast forward to Nancy and I graduate from, from uh, college. We lived in St. Joe, Missouri for a couple of years and then moved back. We moved to St. Charles County because it was a lot cheaper than, than Chesterfield. And, and the, the pastor at Green Trails said, you know, um, if you live in St. Peter's, you ought to go to Church of the Shepherd. And so we started attending there, and in and, and about eight to ten years, I, whatever it was, um, I feel a sense of call to ministry. And I enter into ministry, and the first church I'm appointed to be associate pastor, Salem. This kind of cool full circle thing there. Now, that's not exactly the history of this church. This church was formed in the 1960s, as I mentioned, and, and it was formed because some people at Bethel Church in Baldwin decided there ought to be a church in Ellisville. And I don't know all the history of that, but that's, that's part of your salvation history. And just because we're having this conversation, Ludwig Jacoby is now a part of your salvation history. It's so one of my favorite parts of thinking about, about the, the Christian faith is that, that sense that we are a part of a whole. I wish there was a way to illustrate that for you. Hmm. Wait. So, Shannon, come up here. She didn't know I was going to ask her to do this. Hold this in. Hey, Jackson, come up here. I didn't pick on people in the front row. See that? So you can sit on the front row. Just stand there and hold that. Thank you. So imagine this is salvation history. Apparently it lags at some point. No. Um, <laughs> imagine this is, this, is, this is Adam and Eve all the way back here. And this is... The end of all times when, when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, and we know through the book of Revelation that, that that's when all those who come to salvation are, are gathered together. And we're somewhere in the middle. And you know, if, if it were Jesus' time, those followers after Jesus thought he was coming back, just here's Jesus and he's coming back right here. Well, apparently not yet. And so somewhere in this timeline, we find ourselves. 
the salvation history, the history of what God is seeking to do in your life, but also through your life in the lives of others. Now, this is a sisal rope. Sisal is, it comes from the same plant that makes tequila, but we're not talking about that. This is a sisal rope, which means there's these little strands, and you can't see that, but I just plucked off a little, a little strand of that. These are little strands that, that are woven together to make the rope. Just like we're woven together as a part of God's salvation history, of what God is seeking to do in the world that we are all woven into that, and each one of us has a role. And you know what? If I take one of these out, whoop, that one wasn't easy. That one doesn't want to go. Take one of these out, suddenly it's a little weaker. If I take a bunch of them out, we're all in the same area. It's a little weaker. Not as strong, the witness, as it was at one time. And each one of these strands represents for us somebody who's been involved in the history, some before us, but also those after us. Which means that you're a strand in God's salvation history. You've got a part to play in it. Thanks. You can drop it there. Thanks a lot. You've got a part to play in it, a part to a, a role to play in it. You know, I, I, if you think about, you know, all the way over near this end, if you, if you think about those who played a role in salvation history, Abraham was in his 90s when he found out that he would have a son who would be a part of that salvation history. Anybody in their 90s? I don't think we have any 90-year-olds this morning. Maybe somebody watching online. Guess what? You're, you probably won't get pregnant. Don't rule it out. God's done it before. But God's still got a part for you to play, a role for you to play. One of, one of Abraham's great-great-grandsons was Joseph. Now, Joseph, great-great, yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> Joseph's brothers beat him up and then sold him to a slave caravan that was heading down to Egypt. And Joseph becomes a pivotal part in God's salvation history. After Joseph, there's just so many others that we could name who, who throughout history had a part, a small part. And there are so many that we cannot name. I don't know the name of the guy that was the preacher when Ludwig Jacobi came to faith. I don't know the name of the guy that was the preacher when he came to faith. And before that, I don't know who their Sunday school teachers were. But you can go back to, to Ludwig Jacobi, and you can go back to before that, you can go back to his preacher, back to John Wesley who started the Methodist Church. I bet when John Wesley was six years old, he had no idea the influence he was going to have. His mother did. <laughs> Susanna knew what was, John was a big deal. But then... Wesley, Wesley talks about standing, actually preaches on top, stands on, this is weird for today, but he, he stands on top of his grandfather's grave to preach one time. Not as something disrespectful, but to say, this is, I'm standing upon this heritage. 
And each one of those woven together comes to this point in your life. When, when, when you have the opportunity to allow Christ to enter in, to, to, to God's salvation and history, to enter into your life and from there carry forth God's salvation history through you into people you'll never know or ever meet, but who God's seeking to save through you. Imagine that. Amen and amen.